Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Self-high five. Oh, yeah. First Family Mortgage is going to save you some money, and we're sponsoring What Happened When Monday today. If you'd like to save a little money, it doesn't take very long. How long does it take, much? Cup of coffee. So what are you waiting for? Cruise on over to 1FMC.com. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. Dig it. Yeah. And you are going to dig it if you've got a home equity line of credit. All the experts say this is the year interest rates are set to rise, so don't get caught with your pants down. Save the most money for your family and call First Family. If you don't, your interest rates are going to go up, you're going to get stuck in an interest-only loan, and you're going to wind up overpaying. I'm talking to you if you've got credit card debt. Don't get stuck making the minimum payments. Spend 10 minutes on the phone with us right now and find out how much money you can save for free. It's 888-425-0105 or cruise on over to 1FMC.com and get yourself a quick quote right now. Snap into it. Oh, yeah. 1FMC.com. NMLS number 65084 Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! This is the MLW Radio Network. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When? Monday, right here on MLW Radio, and of course, the man of the hour, Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you? Bob, it's another week with us, Conrad. How you doing, bud? Man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about all things Diamond Dallas Page, but before we do, do you have any loose ends from last week's show? It was the Great American Bash 1988. Uh, I got a lot of great feedback from this. How about you? What, what do you want, another Klondike Bill story? Is that what you're fishing for here? <laughs> Man, I can't believe the popularity. Is this the most Klondike Bill has been talked about in the history of the Internet, you think? Yeah, it probably is. Uh, he was talked a lot about uh, in the backstage area. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it probably is. Uh, a great man. Anybody who knew him loved him uh, and looked upon him like, boy, he's a sick old fuck, too, which... I don't know. When when it's all said and done with me, I don't know if I'm going to be known as that or not. But uh, oh, well. one, more Klo- one more Klondike Bill story, if you will. Yeah, let's do okay. it. Uh, Klondike Bill and I had come back from uh, Florence, South Carolina. Uh, and he dropped me off at Old Crockett Park, where is uh, where the uh, where we had the, the ball team. And uh, he and I talked about women and porn and all the degenerate shit that we could talk about on a three-hour trip up and back, three hours down, three hours back. <laughs> and I really got him going. He said, oh, he would say, man, I just, oh, boy, I just, and so we stopped, we even stopped at like this, this old convenience store and picked up like this 
Nudie magazine. And he was driving his old pickup, and I was on the passenger side. I said, look at this, Bill. Oh, my and gosh. He would, he would look. He would go, oh, my God. I He was just, just going crazy. So when we pulled in that night after after all that crazy talk that we had and talking about women and talking about all the degenerate things that two guys talk about on their own, uh, we pulled up, and he let me out. And there happened to be a pair of women's panties in the parking lot. Oh, a pair of women's panties in the parking lot. So he took those panties, wadded them up, put them in his mouth, and chewed them up. And that was Klondike Bill. Are you being real right now? <laughs> What's that? This is a real fucking story. It is a story. Oh, my God. He put them in his mouth. He chewed them up. He said, nom, nom, nom. Oh, nom, nom. how about that? Oh, nom, nom. And I said, Bill... You're, you are a sick fuck, buddy. And that's why we loved him. That was one of the things he did. I've got some more stories, but I, I thought I'd just piecemeal that one out. So he, uh, Tony, the show's over. Uh, wrap us up. Uh, well, okay. That was a high point right there. <laughs> yes. It's all fucking downhill from here. Uh, Bill's oh. got the panties in his mouth. We got to go. It's the best. Like it's the best. That is the greatest story in the history of our great sport. It was a girl's panties. It could have been. Now, we're talking the mid-80s now. Uh, a lot of Bush was in there. Actually. A lot of Bush was, was in panties there. panties in the parking lot like at 3 a.m. And he reached down and saw them and picked them up and put them in his mouth and chewed them up like they were gum. Could have been. I mean, you know, who knows? And so is that how you met Lois? <laughs> what? No. I met Lois at outside at a uh, – uh, she was standing out in the 7-Eleven out in front under – a sign that said hot to go. There you go. So uh, thank you very much. I'll be here all the week. Try, uh, try the veal tip the waitress. <laughs> that's right. Uh, those panties, of course, we all know that's how Deborah McMichael got in the business. <laughs> I don't know, but that's, that sounds like the start of a pretty good story to me. You know, I just figured out something. You're kind of a degenerate yourself. Kind you know? of. Oh, I'm- oh, yeah. You play the straight man here, but you are always pushing us. <laughs> To say this shit, okay? Us. I love so that you're lumping yourself in. Us. <laughs> so don't go pointing the finger at me, okay? Oh, no, so That's yeah. my Klondike Bill story for this week. Uh, well, here's the deal. If you need more Klondike Bill stories, you need to cruise on over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Uh, and then when uh, Tony gives you a call to thank you for picking up a T-shirt, because that's the thing, he does. Uh, you yes, can I ask do. him uh, about Klondike Bill, and maybe you can even check out the brand new Unblocked T-shirt. It's in the old style of the uncensored pay-per-view logos, but this one says Unblocked. Don't forget the Blockmaster. It's themed just like the Shockmaster. Maybe my favorite T-shirt in the history of podcasts, Pasta Still Rules. If you're not sure what that's about, go listen oh, to our really? very first Nitro episode. We do a little conspiracy theory. It's good stuff. Uh, the Great American Blocked Party. You can even go ahead and get Tony like it was Thunder. But the coolest podcast t-shirt of all, perhaps, is the big gold belt positioned where it's playing air guitar. Uh, you want to see this. Cruise on over ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. But now, let's feel the bang. Let's talk about Diamond Dallas Page. We're not talking about the bang that Klondike Bill was dreaming about, munching them drawers. We're talking about all things Diamond Dallas Page. And the reason he's our topic today 
He's taking his rightful spot in the WWE Hall of Fame. But before he was a WWE superstar, he became a megastar in WCW. So we're probably going to have a half a dozen more shows about Diamond Dallas Page. So this is not going to be a one-size-fits-all for his entire career retrospective. This is going to cover what I consider his biggest year uh, that kind of put him on the map, which is 1997. We were going to, of course, cover 1998, which had uh, him going ahead and headlining a pay-per-view against Goldberg, uh, but more importantly, perhaps doing work with Jay Leno and Carl Malone. And then we're going to carry it all the way through to his first world title win at Spring Stampede in 1999, uh, but kind of set the stage briefly on all things Diamond Dallas Page prior to 1997. How long had you known Dallas? What were your impressions of him? How was he to work with as a talent prior to 97? I first remember Diamond Dallas Page, and I think many of us do, when he was doing some things, uh, was a manager in the the AWA. Right. And I remember looking at him uh, and watching that, thinking that, uh, you know, he would look like he tried to be like a rock star. Right. Like uh, right out of Van Halen. Uh, and, uh, I always thought his rap was pretty good, but I, I didn't know him that well. And, and then early in 1990, when I came back to WCW, now I know there's a lot of people that remember he did some work with, with Bischoff, but there are a couple of shows, a couple of worldwide shows that he actually did with me. And, uh, he was like my co I had like rotating co-host on worldwide in those early years. Did Kevin Sullivan even had Gordon Soli on with me? Uh, had a dirty Dutch mantel on with me. Uh, you know, this is the years before Jesse Ventura. Right. And I, uh, I did that show, but, uh, and then diamond Dallas page was came aboard. We did a couple of shows and I think we just did those basically. I don't even, to be honest with you, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even know if those things aired, but I remember him uh, being very concerned about his look. Him even asking me about, you know, what do you think this thing works? Does this thing work? And I was back there with Dusty as far as does this wardrobe work? Uh, and I thought he was very conscientious about his look and about how he sounded, which I appreciated. I always did. I always uh, cared a lot for people who who appreciated that. So, so I or cared about that. So I that that's what I remember first about him. And then as we went along uh, in, in the years, it was pretty apparent that there was hardly anybody that cared as much about his persona and his character and his work than Diamond Dallas Page. He put more time into his gimmick, if you will, than anybody. He was on par with the Macho Man Randy Savage. I always thought Savage was like the greatest person who who cared about his gimmick and worked worked his gimmick uh, because he was the Macho Man. And Diamond Dallas Page or Page Falkenberg, if you will, before he changed his name, I understand, really thought he was DDP. So he was a person, but he was also his persona, ring persona, wherever he went. So I always had a lot of time for him. I, I did. And, and again, I, I have a lot of time for people who work very hard. And, like and that's yourself, what, Conrad. That's what you know? I wanted to point out is I feel like in wrestling, a lot of times it's kind of in fashion to shit on guys who put forth a lot of effort. And it's almost cool to act like you don't care and that, you know, you're just going to call it in the ring and you're just going to wing it. And there's a certain sense of old school pride and all that. But Diamond Dallas Page always kind of came off to me as a guy who was not afraid to put in the work and he was going to work tirelessly to be better. 
and maybe yeah, he didn't he have a lot of uh, natural gifts that maybe some other guys did, and maybe he started a little later in life and whatever it was. But all you've ever heard is that he took everything very seriously and worked very hard, and I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, I, I do too. I uh, the the only thing that that Dallas did that that it kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong way, and I shouldn't say it rubbed me the wrong way because that's not not the right term. Do you remember back in the days with uh, we had Mark Madden working with me? Yeah. Okay, Mark Madden came in as a heel announcer. Right. And he portrayed that heel. I always told uh, I always told Madden, I said, you did a great job as a heel announcer. And he even got Diamond Dallas Page mad at him. Right. And I, I wanted to say to Page, you know. It's a work. He's being a, he's being a heel. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, as a baby face, you should, you should realize this is all a work. Right. But, but Diamond was so serious about his business that uh, – that he even got mad at Mark Madden about that. So that was the only thing that, that Dallas did I didn't agree with. But other than that, you know, he always talked to me about what he was doing and, and what he was going to do and about his spots and everything. And, you know, there was uh, – he, he, he very much, I, I think, uh, brought uh, work rate into the, into the next uh, generation as far as preparing. Yeah, I think a lot of young guys saw that. Uh, the hard work that he put into it, and tried to mimic that. So I, I think he had a lot of uh, he had a lot of to do with that. Well, let's talk about when it really started to catch fire for him, and we're going to go back to January thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, we briefly have discussed this show in the past. This is the first time that Nitro is being ran in a major dome in nineteen ninety seven. Uh, this right. is the same month that the WWF is running a dome for their pay per view in San Antonio. But here we're in New Orleans and we're at the Superdome and Diamond Dallas Page beats Mark Starr with a diamond cutter. And if you go back and you watch this match, uh, you'll see that this was a very quick match. And supposedly Mark kind of rushed a cue and had to dive and DDP had to play catch up to catch him with the diamond cutter. And he's very annoyed at the way this all went down. You can see that visually on Page's face. Right. Uh, and this was his big moment, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But after the Diamond Cutter, Hall and Nash come down with an NWO shirt and invite DDP to join. Uh, DDP puts the shirt on, uh, teases uh, a handshake and a hug with Scott Hall, and then gives him a Diamond Cutter out of nowhere, and the crowd erupts. Nash had his back, so he missed that. But when he turns around, he sees the aftermath. He goes ahead and charges DDP, but winds up going up and over, hitting a table that then kind of gets slung into the guardrail and actually maybe hits a fan. And then DDP runs out through the crowd uh, for the first time and the place goes nuts. And it was a very special moment for WCW and their feud with the NWO. Tony, what do you remember about that night and that angle? Well, I I remember what you're saying. And if you go back and look at it, I remember that uh, the finish, the diamond cutter on Mark Starr wasn't good. Right. And, And that was a case sometimes I'm thinking here, Sometimes a case where you try too hard to choreograph everything. Yeah. Because if you try too hard to choreograph everything and the guy you're working with is not in step with you, you you end up getting what we would always call a clusterfuck. Right. We had a lot of those. But I I think that – I think what fans remember and what I remember is the diamond cutter on Scott Hall. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think you can just forget about what happened to Mark Starr and forget yep. about that. That was a big moment. And, and as you know, we're coming out of uh, out of sold out 
uh, or I guess we're going into sold out. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah. We're setting it up. Okay, we're going into sold out. WCW is reeling, and now all of a sudden, here's a guy who is leading the banner for WCW. It was a big moment. It really was. It was, and of course, you know, the pop that he got that night was spectacular. It really starts to get over the move, and behind the scenes, you may remember. Uh, reading or hearing about, and maybe you didn't know this, but Diamond Dallas Page was crucial to getting Hall and Nash into the company. Uh, he had befriended them during their first runs at WCW under different personas, and then he is the one who kind of puts them together with Eric Bischoff for them to make their return. And, of course, he's working hard, and he's good friends with these guys. So a few months before this angle actually happens in January of 97, Dallas has this idea and pitches it to Nash, who loves it, uh, and then they include Scott, Scott digs it. And they ask Scott to go pitch it to Eric because Dallas doesn't want to pitch it. So they all go out for drinks. Allegedly, according to diamond Dallas page, they all go out for drinks after a nitro. Uh, and they're watching the replay at a bar and Scott and Kevin lay out the whole idea and Bischoff kind of blows it off. Like, I don't know. And Scott says something like, well, I don't know. We all know you and Dally are buddies, but if being your buddy isn't a good thing, I'm not sure I want to work here. And supposedly that's what it took to get Bischoff to change his mind. So they wind up writing it onto TV and pushing it back eight times, according to Dallas. So it's on Nitro, and then it gets scrapped at the last minute over and over and over. And then finally it happens in New Orleans. And Dallas has said before the segment was a lot longer, and then it kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then eventually it finally happened and it was a crazy night and it made him, at least from Dallas's perspective. And Tony, I want your perspective on this. Some perceived DDP as someone who got his spot, quote unquote, simply by being buddies with Bischoff. But others say that that friendship actually caused him to have to work harder because Bischoff didn't want to either show favoritism or just didn't believe in him because he was his buddy and he was too close to the situation. Where do you fall on this? Is it? Well, I, I feel that Bischoff always felt that Dallas was a good performer, but I don't think he put Dallas at least uh, during that time. I don't think he put Dallas in the same uh, breath as he did with Sting or a Flair or somebody like that. He didn't think he was that level of a superstar, so I think he was reluctant to have him do the shot. Uh, yeah, they were friends, but Eric always kind of put uh, kind of put his business before his friendship. I always thought, you know, he took me off of uh, off Nitro. He and I were good friends. He took me off Nitro when he thought I was sucking, uh, and he puts uh, uh, Scott Hudson on for a little while. So Eric always tried to do what he thought was best for the company, and, and I don't. And I think that back then he wasn't sure that that this was a spot that Diamond Dallas Page could have or should have. Uh, and, uh, I think he's glad he gave it to him now. Yeah. And Bischoff wrote in his book that he never considered diamond Dallas page to be a long-term world champion. And he said, he knew that writing that about his friend would hurt his feelings when he read it, but he could see him being an interim champion for a few weeks here or there, but he didn't right. consider him a Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair level talent. Someone um, that could lead your company could be your standard bearer, so to speak. Right? There you go. Right, yeah, that's that's how Bischoff would think. Um, so he, DDP would continue his feud with the NWO with the Clash of the Champions later that month. He did a run-in during Eddie Guerrero and Scott Norton, giving a diamond cutter to Scott Norton. 
uh, at the pay-per-view sold out, which we covered uh, already and it's available in our archives. Uh, you can see where he hit a diamond cutter on Scott Norton there and the B team comes down. Um, in February, uh, he has a match against Renegade where he uses a top rope diamond cutter that Mike Tanay calls the diamond death cutter. And if you watch this back, I think this is the match where DDP chops Renegade so fucking hard that he leans in and apologizes afterwards, all right on camera. And watching this, Tony, made me wonder, did you guys ever have some sort of standard protocol? Is there some sort of discussion in a production meeting about how to cover for stuff like this where spots are called right on camera? Or do you just wing it and try to do your best to cover it up and move on? Uh, you you just wing it. Uh, I personally, uh, Conrad, uh, it was... It was my own personal feeling that when you heard a spot called or something screwed up, if you drew more attention to it, you made it bigger than it was. Mm -hmm. Because not everybody, I mean, of course, we know what's going on as announcers, and we are quote-unquote smart, but not everybody is smart. And not everybody understands what Diamond Dallas Page was saying or what a guy was saying when he called a spot. Right. And if you talk, if you mention that or you say, I don't know what he was talking about there, then you just draw more attention to it. So we just would kind of, at least I remember ignoring this type of shit. And then again, I go back to the fact that they wanted me to wing a lot of stuff anyway, because they were too busy with their own cluster fucking the backstage area than they were with me. Uh, after this match with Renegade, Hall and Nash are at the top of the entrance ramp. Uh, Sting is shown in the crowd as is Randy Savage. So this leads to a big kind of stare down with DDP grabbing a chair and this, to me, is the moment where you can really tell that it wasn't just a one-off and that DDP is going to be featured as a major player because he's in here with Hall, Nash, Sting, and Macho right. Man. Um, do you remember thinking back specifically when you look back and you think, hey, they're really going to get behind him here? Was it the NWO diamond cutter in January? Or was there another time when you thought, it's not just a one-off, they're really going to put some momentum with this guy? I think it was uh, I think it was a combination of things. Uh, I know that to be a top star, you had to have I always thought you had to have a signature move, right like the figure four, right? like the scorpion deathlock, like the big leg drop from Hulk Hogan. and this diamond cutter became a signature move and a move that everyone popped on. Uh, it was so big. Here's another story. It was so big that my son, Matt, uh, and his, uh, was at high school at Pope high school in, uh, in Marietta, Georgia. Uh, the entire drum line ordered diamond Dallas page, diamond cutter shirts. Wow. And, uh, they all would, it, it was big at the, the diamond cutter and the sign for the diamond cutter was big in the high school kids. And that move was so over that I knew that he was going to be a top player. And I don't think it was any one moment. I think obviously the the one that he gave to Scott Hall was the one we remember the most. But I think the diamond cutter was so over that we all knew he was going to be a top player. Um, real quick, yeah. I've often heard it compared to as, as as far as how over it was, Jake Roberts and the DDT in the eighties. Would you agree yeah. with that comparison? I uh, yeah, I think so, because it was one of those moves that he could seemingly put on quickly from anywhere. And it would completely change the complexion of the match or end a match. It, it, it's tough comparing Diamond Dallas Page to Jake the Snake Roberts. I just mean the maneuver, the level of the move right, being over, right. that people knew it was the end, that nobody else is doing it. 
right. whenever he hits it, it's definitely it. Yeah, um, exactly. Were you giving notes on how to be putting it over, or is that all just you freestyling? That's freestyling. I, they didn't give me notes about shit. They talked in my ear a lot, but they didn't give me notes about anything. Um, I it, mean, how do you, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you could put down on a note to put a move over. Well, I mean, in terms of, you know, if you think back to the old wrestling days, guys would actually explain moves by here's what body part it affects. Here's yeah. why it would hurt shit like that. That's not yeah, happening nah, at this we point. Were, we were, we were way beyond that shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> we were way beyond calling moves. I, well, I probably, I, I bet you there was probably some time in the middle of a diamond cutter. I was promoting a pay-per-view. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, February 10th edition of Nitro, DDP comes out and cuts a promo saying anyone can come down to do whatever they want to him. And this challenge is answered by both Sting and Savage. Uh, with Sting doing the whole baseball bat and turn your back routine. Uh, and the segment ended with Savage sna- snatching the bat back from Paige and leaving. And we're going to talk a lot about Savage on this show, but I want to briefly touch on sting here because he's obviously leading the crusade for wcw against the nwo and he's the big wcw star really is kind of the flagship babyface franchise player whatever other buzzword you want to use that's what sting was is it fair to say that by having sting appear here to kind of endorse ddp and have his back is sort of sting lending his credibility to ddp as a top guy and giving him the rub with this endorsement yeah, you're you're right on with that. There was no question, and it goes back again to, you know, the stare down you were talking about. I think it was, you know, and and we did a lot of things, uh, looking back on it, wrong. But I, I think we did a lot of good things, and building Diamond Dallas Page and having him rub off with Sting was was the right thing to do. Uh, we cruise on in the Super Brawl. Diamond Dallas Page uh, wins against Buff Bagwell by DQ. Of course, it's another non-finish when the B team of the NWO come out and interfere, but it gets a big pop in the process. Uh, the next night on Nitro, uh, he beats Dave Taylor, or I guess they go to a, a no contest because there's more NWO interference. But along the way, uh, he hits the diamond cutter out of a fireman's carry. And we start to see kind of the different variations of how you can get to this move. And uh, as most of us remember, this actually won move of the year in every poll, whether it was PWI or the Wrestling Observer or whatever. It was the move of the year for sure. No question. Yeah. Uh, but after this match with Dave Taylor, Hall and Nash come out and uh, Randy Savage joins them and they spray paint him, drop elbows on him, et cetera, et cetera. I, I wanted to mention here... Uh, after Paige gets knocked out, a fan jumps in the ring and Hall and Randy jump on him, but don't seem to get like a clear shot in. And then a frustrated Nash just finally tosses him out of the ring. Do you remember this fan incident with somebody jumping in the ring? Yes, I do. Tell me about this that. Was, this was, if this is the same one I remember, uh, this was in Sacramento, California. That's right. Uh, and here's what I remember about it. Uh, I remember the, you know, the fan, you know, being one of those smart ass fans that wanted to get involved in all this. And he rolls into the ring and there's a big crowd of people in the ring and he jumps up knowing where the, as we call them, the hard cameras are. And he's jumping up and down to celebrate with the NWO. And what I remember, he kind of turns around and Savage decks him. And then they finally got him out of the ring. So I remember that. And I remember I was very happy about that. 
back I wish in, they'd stomp the shit out of that van. Back in the day, uh, in the Crockett era, supposedly, yeah. when they get that fan to the back, uh, he's given an option. He can go to jail or he can spend a few minutes in a room with one of the boys. Okay. Uh, what what happens here? Uh, this night? Yeah. I don't know what happens this night. Do they take him in the back and beat the shit out of him, or does Dillinger no, just turn no, him over to the Listen, uh, uh, by that time, Doug Dillinger always told the always told the wrestlers, you know, you've got to protect yourself, but I'm telling you, if you hit a fan or you swing at a fan, you're liable for a lawsuit. And I think very much lawsuits and the threat of those change the – the what the wrestlers did. Now, here's a story. Uh, before I became in, before I was in wrestling, uh, I had uh, I went to a lot of wrestling matches, and I was in college, and we went to the Harrisonburg, Virginia High School gymnasium, and I had I had bought the entire front row for my family, and on one end there was me and my cousin Butchie. And on the other end, there was Aunt Francis and Uncle John. Now, Uncle John was in his 80s, and it was Ric Flair and Greg Valentine against Johnny Weaver, and I can't remember who it was. It may have been Paul Jones back then. Let's say Johnny Weaver and Paul Jones. But a Flair, and they jumped down on the, on the floor, and this guy came right out of the stands, jumped on Flair's back. Now, I'm a fan now, okay? I'm on the front row. And all of a sudden, it turns – you can tell that this is not a part of the act. Of course, we didn't know it was an act back then. But they are they are literally beating the shit out of this guy. <laughs> they are beating the shit out of this guy. And all of a sudden, it gets pretty exciting. Now, my Uncle John had, a, uh, had these two steel canes, one on each end. He raised that steel cane up and hit Greg Valentine over the head with it. Crack. And I remember my cousin Butchie saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, he hit, he hit Valentine. Uncle John hit Valentine. Valentine wheeled around and saw there was poor old Uncle John who could hardly stand up and didn't deck him. But I tell that story because back then, if you got involved, you got the shit beat out of you. Right. And I saw it more times than not as a fan and then later on when I got into wrestling. We move now. We go to 1997. It wasn't always like that. What happened was kind of reactor, yeah, reactionary, but I don't think you would be put in a room with one of the guys in the back. I don't think that would happen back in those days. A week later, uh, DDP beats Rick Fuller with the diamond cutter. Uh, the week after that, we see the Dennis Rodman debut, and DDP beats Craig Pittman with the diamond cutter. Big Pop's still here for his entrance and the finish. I want to touch on the music because a lot of people have criticized the use of this Diamond Dallas Page music. It's essentially a ripoff of Nirvana. Uh, and DDP was on record saying, Jimmy Hart and I did the song together, and Jimmy is a genius. Which I, he is. I felt that was the sound of the 90s, and that was awesome for me. Dave Grohl was hot because it was like a ripoff of their music. He heard it and was like, WCW owes us money. But we did just enough changing the notes. So it was, but it wasn't. Yeah. What do you think about this? Was this fair game? Did you recognize the song as what it was? Did somebody have to smarten you up because you're an old man and out of the loop? Well, uh, I wasn't an old man back then. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I wasn't an old man back then. Motherfucker. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but 
it, it sounded like it, but but uh, again, we're a, we're a big time company now, and they knew how to make music sound similar without it really being the same. Right. Uh, so, uh, do you say it was a lot of controversy about, and people were ragging on him for using that music? Well, I don't, I don't know that they did so much at the time, but it was certainly something fans talked about. And in the years since, th- there's been a lot of people who were critical of it. And they kind of avoid it on a lot of best ofs and DVDs and spots on the network because okay. they're just a little nervous about it or they don't want to pay Jimmy or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, I just wanted to at least mention it. Uh, uncensored. Yeah, if, if, I'm thinking if you're just if you're critical of a guy's music, you have nothing to fuck to be critical about. Think of something else to be critical about. Only fucking music. Oh, huh. gosh. I love you for that. Uh, uncensored. 1997, March 16th. Uh, this is where we start to get cooking with his feud with the Macho Man. Uh, ever since he had been laid out and spray painted by Hall, Nash, and Savage, DDP had been repeatedly challenging Savage to a match with Brandy never acknowledging him. Well, here and uncensored, Savage and Elizabeth come out and reveal that DDP and Kimberly were recently in a Playboy magazine and show a fold out of Kimberly with the NWO strategically spray painted across it to cover up mm-hmm. the nudity. Yeah. Kimberly comes out crying and her dress has been spray painted and this mm-hmm. distracts Paige long enough for Savage to blindside him and spray paint him. Uh, so Savage then holds Kimberly down and Elizabeth spray paints NWO on Kimberly's back. And this kind of jump starts the angle in a big way. And the pictures are out there. Throw them in your Google machine if you'd like to see them. And there's lots of rumor and innuendo on the internet about Kimberly and Dallas, but we're going to leave all that alone for another time. We are. I want to specifically ask about the Playboy. Uh, The wrestling business, Tony, is brutal, to say the least. What did the boys in the locker room think of his wife, who's a part of the company, being nude here? I don't know what protocol is at work when you see a coworker's wife naked. So talk me through how this is received in the locker room. That is a good, I, I, I'm wondering why there's a lot of rumor and innuendo, why you would say something like that and then say, we're going to leave that for another time. First uh, of all, let me, let me throw that back at you. Well, Why would you throw something like that out there and then say we're going to leave it for another time? I, this was all part of an angle. I, I don't think I don't think anybody was upset about it. I'm not it saying anybody was a good ups- angle, don't you think? It was a phenomenal angle. It okay. couldn't have been done any better. But right. were the boys fucking with Dallas or her about her being in Playboy? No. Okay. No. You don't remember any sort of controversy amongst the boys with that? No, no. What I was avoiding there is I am going to be questioned about why we didn't drill down more on their yeah. private real life. And right, I know, and I know there's a lot of. Let me, let me. Uh, uh, are you going to be talking? Are you going to talk about the Buff Bangwell angle? Uh, I'm not going to talk about the one that happened later, where she okay. ultimately winds up leaving. It doesn't happen before this happens, but before okay. during this timeline. Yeah, because just let me say about that Buff Bagwell, Buff Bagwell angle, I didn't believe it. A lot of people are going to not know what you're saying. You didn't believe okay. what? All right. Anyway, move okay. on. 
I tried to, motherfucker, and you wanted to bring it up again. You drew attention to me calling a spot, and now you've made it bigger than it really was. Uh, March March 17th, 1997, we get a still pissed off DDP, and he defeats uh, Max in short order. Uh, Savage later comes out in the stands, starts taunting DDP. DDP wants a rematch, and uh, they just continue to tease it. DDP chases him through the stairs. Uh, April, or I'm sorry, we're not there yet. March 24th, we have DDP interfering in Savage's match with Prince Iakea, mm-hmm. and uh, all the other NWO members come down to the ringside, Nash, Six, Vincent, and they quickly beat down DDP. He takes a jackknife, an elbow drop, uh, and even a little kung fu from Bischoff, and of course, gets the spray paint treatment. Uh, I don't know when we'll talk about him again. What's your favorite Prince Iakea match? My favorite Prince Iakea match? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was probably that one right there. I was <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next week, March 31st, 1997, uh, we get uh, Paige you and know, Sav- you're people. You're going to have people on Twitter say, Shimani doesn't remember shit. Well, you don't. They're going to say, well, wait a second. They're going to say that now. And I want everybody out there sitting down right now. You tell me your favorite Prince Ikea match right now. I really enjoyed this match on Nitro against Ultima Dragon in 1997. Yeah. It was a barn yeah. burner. You're full of shit. He had Go a phenomenal ahead. match with Lord Steven Regal. Okay, you're full of shit is what you are. It's for the TV title. Okay. Go ahead. Um the next week on Nitro, uh Paige beats Lance Ringo, who would later become mm-hmm. Sick Boy with the Fireman's Carry variation of the Diamond Cutter. And then Paige cuts a promo where he says you want to come into my world? I'm going to snap into yours. And then we get the big pay-per-view payoff. It's Spring Stampede, April 6, 1997. It's a no-DQ match, and this is the main event. It's one of those rare shows in 97 where Hogan's not on it at all. Uh, and it's a very solid and entertaining match. Uh, it's one of my favorite Diamond Dallas Page matches. If you're looking for something to watch to kind of get you in the mood for this uh, show we're doing, go watch Spring Stampede 97's main event. Uh, lots of cool stuff in this match to get over Macho as a heel. He beats up Dave Penzer at ringside. He gives a phenomenal pile driver to Mark Curtis, takes his belt off and starts whipping the referee with his own belt. Uh, and then he hits a elbow drop. There's no ref there to make the count. Nick Patrick, who's a heel referee comes down, but somehow page gets a diamond cutter in and uh, Patrick still makes the count. Meltzer gave it a three and one quarter star rating, which was probably a record for Diamond Dallas Page and the Observer at this point. And then post match, practically the entire NWO hits the ring, and uh, Nash gives Nick Patrick a power bomb. Savage starts threatening to punch Kimberly, and we get uh, a big schmoz. People are looking for Sting, and he's not there. So. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of heat to end the show here and continue this angle. This is, uh, I guess, a B-show pay-per-view since there's no Hulk Hogan here, but I thought it really delivered in the main event. Do you remember this match in particular, Tony? Yeah, I do. I, you say it's a B-show because of no Hulk Hogan? Well, it just well, felt Randy like... Savage was a major star. I'm not arguing that at all, but the world champion's not on the show. And okay. so if the world champ's not on the show, to me, it feels like it's a little less than. It also, it, to me, is a B-show because it's in like Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, mm. Prince Iakea had a phenomenal match for the television title here against Lord Steven Regal, just so you know. Okay. 
I know it's your favorite. Yeah, you're full of shit. The Four Corners match before this, to put this mm-hmm. in perspective as a B-show, had Lex Luger, The Giant, Booker T, and Stevie Ray. Hmm. So Booker T and Stevie Ray were wrestling against each other. Kevin Nash wrestled Rick Steiner in a singles match for the tag team titles. This is a B-show. Okay. All right. I'm not going to argue with you anyway. <laughs> What do you think of the match, though? I love this match. I think it's great. I, I did too, and you know, and then again, I, I wonder. This match was so good, and and the heat was so good. You got to wonder why we went, why we ended up shitting the bed as a company, because we were doing some pretty cool things at that time. Absolutely, and some pretty good angles. And you just got to scratch your head and think, what the hell happened to us? Well, obviously, we know what happened to us, but. I, uh, again, you've got Savage, who's a great performer. You got some tremendous heat, uh, and you got the move, the diamond cutter, which is a spectacular move, and uh, it had all the makings of something great. It's something I remember. Uh, it's interesting about this uh, pay per view too, because if you look at the poster online, uh, Mongo McMichael is the most prominently featured wrestler on the poster. And, really? then, and then Arn Anderson, and then Ric Flair, and then Chris I don't have Benoit. an answer for that, buddy. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I don't have an answer for that. Let's talk about the decision to have DDP beat Macho Man. Uh, Dallas has said in the year since that this is the night that he became a made man. Because to beat Macho Man in a pay-per-view main event is a huge deal, especially at this stage of Dallas's career. And he's talked about how this all comes up saying one day in the locker room, he just asked, what do you want to do tonight? And Savage while putting on his boots said, I think I want to take the diamond cutter. And supposedly even the agents are shocked to hear this, but it's worth mentioning that someone else has suggested, and this is probably a DDP hater, but someone who was with WCW at the time suggested that Savage demanded a raise in order to lose the DDP here on pay-per-view. I wasn't there. You were there. Yep. How do you remember this coming down, and why was Randy up for this? He really liked DDP. He thought no, Rand- the move was over. Randy was a professional, and the fact that someone says that he wanted uh, a raise, I, I, I think that's bullshit. This is one of the this is one of the things that made Macho Man Randy Savage great. He knew what good TV was. Sure, he was Macho Man Randy Savage uh, taking the Diamond Cutter to Diamond Dallas Page is just going to elevate. Diamond Dallas not going to do anything to him and his character and his persona and what he's done in the business. He was like, he was a good businessman. He was smart and he had an ego like all of them, but, but Savage was, he was one of the greats in the business. And this is an example of it. He knew what was good for business. And so he probably suggested it. It probably did take everybody back because you know how egos were and are in the backstage area. They don't want to do this or they don't want to do that. And they're worried about this. And if they, but what he did was put over the diamond cutter and he was a pro. So the fact that he demanded a raise in order to do this, I say bullshit to that. There you go. And if, if somebody knows different, then they need to tell me because most of it's hearsay and most of it's bullshit anyway. The next night, DDP is on the end of Nitro cutting a promo, and he talks about how two years ago, nobody would have thought he would be in the main event. And then he challenged Savage, who was on crutches due to a legit injury that he suffered at the Spring Stampede match. Meltzer would report that Macho didn't even know his injury, his his ankle was injured until the next morning. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Hogan and the rest of the NWO come out. Hogan tells Savage he'll take care of Paige, and then Sting repels down from the rafters, and we get Sting and Paige holding off the NWO with bats to end the show. Um, the next week on Nitro, we get DDP. Uh, he defeats Conan. This time, Savage and Liz are in the crowd and cut a promo. Uh, DDP gives chase. Of course, they run away. Uh, later in the main event, uh, Paige tries to make a save for Luger, who defeated Nash in the main event when the NWO interfered. And DDP winds up getting beaten down, only to be saved by staying in the Giant. Uh, so they're starting to form some alliances here with the big baby faces, Sting, the Giant, Lex Luger, DDP. Uh, the next week, uh, DDP beats Psychosis in under a minute. More mic work with Savage. He's still injured, so they can't do much physicality. Right. Uh, May 5th, more of the same. This time, the Giant chooses Diamond Dallas Page to be his partner to replace an injured Luger in a match against the Harlem Heat. Before the match, Hogan hit Page with Savage's crutch. Uh, April 12th, Savage shows up without the crutches and challenges DDP, who is injured from last week, but still competed in a dark match for the live crowd. And then finally, we get what we've been looking for on May 19th. DDP comes through the crowd and attacks Savage in the ring, but Savage bails. The B team for the NWO comes out, and uh, eventually the NWO beats DDP down, targeting his taped-up ribs. Eventually, the giant makes the save, and this was a very hot segment to end Nitro on April, or I'm sorry, May 19th. And I want to talk about the ribs here because he was famous for wearing tape around his ribs during this time, and I think a lot of people assumed that he was just working this, but supposedly Macho Man broke a few ribs jumping off the top rope with this elbow drop. It was full impact, and... Page says Savage didn't know another way to do it. Do you exactly had you heard that before that this was pretty common for Randy? He would break your ribs coming off the top with that? Well, I knew it was pretty common that he had banged up ribs. I don't know if it was common how many times he broke ribs. But they, again, it goes back to what I said about the macho man Randy Savage, how much of a pro he was. Uh, and that top rope elbow that he did, as you just said, was the real thing. And you can't do that continually without bruising or breaking some ribs. So, yeah, we, I knew he was injured. We all knew he was injured. But, again, he's, you know, he's a pro. Talk me through um, yoga. We're, we're going to work it in here eventually, I'm sure. Yoga? It's what DDP is known for, DDP yoga. And he started doing it when he was a top guy with WCW to kind of combat some of these injuries. Um, when do you remember that being a thing? I never remember that being a thing. But I think it's fair to say that DDP knew how to take care of himself. And one of the ways that you can take care of yourself was with the fresh ingredients over at BlueApron.com. Am I right? Yeah, Conrad, you're right. Uh, And I I do need to say that Lois and I have received our first order of Blue Apron. uh, And it came in and we've got Lois cooking again. What? Isn't that great? I don't know. I, mean, I would say what's causing all this, but BlueApron.com is causing all this. BlueApron.com is causing all this, and that's because Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Its mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And when I say accessible to everyone, I even mean Lois Shivani. We've been married <laughs> almost 36 years, and I don't think she has cooked since 1987. Uh, but but here's the thing, too, and, and I really b- believe this because 
when the first uh, the first box came in, we opened it up together. We saw all the fresh ingredients, saw all the recipes that go with the fresh ingredients, how easy it was to make. And, uh, you know, they say, they, they told me, they say that it, bring, it builds strong bonds cooking together. And I love standing over her saying, mm, boy, you really know how to cook. That is a great recipe. You are doing so well. But let's let's face it. The best meal you can have is a great home-cooked meal. Not one where you go down the street and you go through a drive-thru or you order pizza at home. The best is a home-cooked meal. This has changed. This has changed our lives. It's changed our kitchen. It's changed the way that we eat. And we're so thrilled about it. And the good thing is the food is fresh. It comes to you, but it's fresh. And they guarantee that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Now, I want you to check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free with free shipping. Let me repeat that. First three meals free with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash Tony. That's T-O-N-Y. You'll love how good it feels. It tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Tony. And while you're making the meal, you know what you need to say? If Lois Shivani can do it, I can do it. That's what you need to say. I'm telling you, I, I, I do rib about my wife a lot, but we are we are really digging this. That's this awesome, really man. things around at our house. I'm glad you guys are digging it. Yeah, we really are. Well, uh, May 26, 1997, we get a very good promo from DDP promoting his Great American Bash bout against uh, the Macho Man. And uh, I couldn't help but uh, mention here that Mean Gene starts to fawn over Kimberly. And yeah. uh, he says, man, she's stacked. Yeah. And when I watched this back, I thought about you and Deborah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, G- uh, Gene Okerlund was the uh, the, the forerunner to uh, a dirty old fuck. Well, there you go. I like it. So there you go. There was nobody like him. Uh, and he was right. She was. Uh, Kimberly, um, and I haven't seen her in many years, and we've all obviously aged and changed. But, you know, back then during that run, I think we could say that she was a 10. Don't you think so? Oh, my gosh. And how about this? She ain't too far behind it now. Really? Uh, I haven't she- seen her. The last time I saw her was on 40-Year-Old Virgin when her boob fell out, which was years ago. That's the last thing I saw from her. But, my God. Kimberly was absolutely drop dead gorgeous. I feel and like not it's... only that was very intelligent. Oh you know, yeah, had a, had, for a, sure. had, a, had a had a degree in uh, in marketing. It was a was a smart girl. And her last name's Bacon, right? <laughs> Bacon. Yeah. Really? Thought so. Are you ribbing me with that? I don't think so. Okay. You didn't know that right, her last name is Bacon. Would that would that be B A K K U N? No, B A B A C O N. B-A-C-O-N. Just like you were hoping. Everybody loves bacon. Yes, we do. There you go. Good yeah. eating. Some good eating. Uh, Great American Bash, 1997. Diamond Dallas Page is taking on Macho Man again. It's a three and three quarter match, according to Meltzer. Once again, this one is a wild one. It's false count anywhere. We've got multiple referee bumps. We've got weapons. We've got a picnic table. We've got charcoal. We've got a flower pot. Just all kinds of craziness here. Eventually, Macho Man gets the win here in the rematch after Scott Hall interferes and uses his finishing move, the Outsider's Edge, and then an elbow elbow drop. Tony, what say you? Did you prefer this match or the Spring Stampede version the month before? 
spring stampede version. You know how I think about a lot of gimmicks. You know how I feel about that. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I just I, I never was one to like uh, flower pots, picnic tables, and all that stuff. They so. start teasing on uh, the next night that there will be a tag match, and he's going to need help to take mm-hmm. on the NWO with Macho Man and Scott Hall here. So they start teasing a mystery partner, and DDP looks to the sky, indicating to everyone at home that his mystery partner will be Sting. Uh, the next week, we see DDP challenging Scott Hall to a match later that night. It ends in a DQ, of course, more NWO interference. Um, Sting does appear in the crowd, but Savage hits an elbow for interference anyway. And then Sting eventually clocks both Hall and Savage with the bat. And the trash uh, starts to rain into the ring. So it's an interesting time. You know, the NWO is 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 a baby face to a lot of the crowd. They're the crowd's favorites. But to the other side, you know, they're starting to uh, really get behind Dallas here. Uh, the tweener baby face is clearly working for both Steve Austin on the WWF and Dallas Page here for WCW. Huge clusterfuck is the way to describe the June 30th, 97 edition of Nitro. You've got Luger, the Giant, and DDP taking on Hall, Nash, and Savage in the main event. Uh, but it never really gets started because there's all kinds of craziness going on. Fake Sting is shown in the crowd. And then the real Sting comes down from the rafters. Um, he's not even really in focus, though, and it's not even totally caught on camera. But Sting clears the NWO out of the ring. And then Kurt Henning returns and just kind of stands and stares there. Raven does the same. And the show goes off the air. Uh, now, this is interesting to me because we've clearly been teasing that Sting is going to be the mystery partner. But now two new characters are introduced for seemingly no reason, Kurt Henning and Raven. Uh, but we'll address that the next week on Nitro. But before we do, I, I found this doing some research, Tony, and I want to ask you uh, some notes from Dave Meltzer. This Nitro took place two days after Tyson Holyfield 2. And this is the famous fight where you saw Tyson bite Holyfield's ear. And any casual right. sports fan knows what I'm talking about here. Right. So Tyson actually comes to the building uh, this day on this show for Nitro, uh, June 30th. I did not 30th. see Mike Tyson that day. So do you think that's bullshit or did you know he was there? I didn't know he was there. Did you know Michael? They, they, they could have they brought him in and, and for a surprise and, and not told me about it, but I didn't see him. Well, I didn't so- hear, that ha- hear of that happening supposedly he was going to be a big surprise and was supposed to be part of the show. But in the aftermath of the fight and the controversy surrounding it with the biting, they just decided not to go through with it. Uh, and they even had Michael Moore sitting in the front row, but he was never shown intentionally on camera because they didn't want to have a bad stigma of boxing on a wrestling product, which I think is fucking hilarious in hindsight. You've got a former world champion bullshit. Do you remember Michael Moore being there? No, I don't. So do you think this is all make-believe? Yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't we? Do, I, I mean, okay, as you just said, when, when setting this up, Conrad, every every sports fan knows of that. Yeah. That's one of the biggest moments in boxing. Sure. Even though it may have been a not uh, not a knockout or something, but it, it was it's something that we should have built on. Yeah, and this is sort of- everybody's talking about Mike Tyson. We should have had him there. Uh, 
And he was there, but he was you guys didn't do anything with him. And that's the reason I found it interesting is because it would be more than six months before he would be on WWF programming and be a big part of the Royal Rumble and right. WrestleMania 14. But he's like at your fucking show here, and you don't use him. Another thing, and again, I did not see him that day. Another thing is maybe he got there and he didn't want to do what they wanted him to do. Yeah, could be. And walked. Uh, so that Jul- very well could have happened. July 7th. This is a big nitro for Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, you get Scott Hall on commentary. Uh, he's doing this to uh, taunt Larry Zabisco. And in the ring, you've got Macho Man taking on La Parca. Mm. All of a sudden, uh, Savage doesn't connect with the elbow drop when La Parca gets his feet up. And people mm-hmm. are shocked. Holy shit. It's not our standard squash match. And then La Parca hits a diamond cutter and removes his mask. Showing its DDP underneath. This gets a huge pop from the crowd. This is one of the best moments of WCW 97 to me. Would you agree with that, Tony? I don't know if it's one of the best moments, but it, it was it was a pretty cool angle that that helped uh, you know put or a pretty cool moment that helped push that angle. I think we did a great job of setting up Page and, and Savage. No, I, I totally agree. I, I thought it was yeah. a huge match. Um, are you smart? And do you guys walk through that early in the day? These days they would walk through something like that before the doors open. Would you guys have done that or would it just, yeah, have been- they, they would have done that. And we never as announcers were invited to come out and watch them, but we could come out and watch them if we wanted to. So, I mean, it wasn't it pretty apparent that that wasn't really La Parca based I thought, on the size. I thought DDP did a great job at the time. Yeah. You know, it's not something that you had seen very often, you know, right. you guys would redo it with Dean Malenko and Chris Jericho and, uh, I forget who Halloween or Cyclope or something like that a year or two later, but this is before it had been done a lot, uh, at least right. on television in this era. So I thought it was a really cool spot at the time. Let's get to bash at the beach. 97. Uh, we reveal here that DDP's mystery partner is Kurt Henning. He's been out of action for years, but he's making his debut here. Uh, and the match was not very good. And some argue that Kurt messed up the finish. Meltzer only gave the match half a star and said that Kurt being the partner here killed the crowd. Supposedly before, you know, they went live, uh, Penzer asked the crowd who they thought Paige's mystery partner would be. And it was an almost unanimous chant for sting. Was this a missed opportunity? I, I, it looks this way, doesn't it? Because of Kurt messing up the finish because pins are getting the crowd whipped to a frenzy and they all wanting sting. But I think they were pushing that for down the road. I think they were still holding sting off. No, I, I agree with reason. that. I just wonder if maybe, you know, when, when he was talking about needing a mystery partner, maybe he shouldn't have looked up to the rafters. I agree with that. And, and had that not happened, this wouldn't be positioned to feel like a disappointment. Right. Yeah. It was, in other words, the promotion or maybe Dallas on his own set it up for this and we didn't give them this yeah and maybe it's just one of those things where again helped uh one of those little things that helped wcw fall on its ass eventually you're thinking you're getting something and you're not getting it the next night uh no match for ddp but he does an interview where he challenges kurt to a match uh and then later he appears to save laparka uh from savage uh, Kurt comes out and knocks out Paige with brass knuckles, and then Savage hits another elbow drop. And Kurt cuts a promo where he says that Paige is the biggest mark in the dressing room. 
Yeah. Do you remember that line? How is that phrasing allowed here? How's it allowed? It's live TV, right? So you don't think he got the okay to to do that? He went into no, business for himself? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, he just, uh, he did that on his own. A lot of shit happened, Conrad, that they didn't want to happen, but it happened. As an announcer, when you hear him say he's the biggest mark in the dressing room, what are you thinking? I'm thinking he's doing shit on his own and we need to move on. I mean, it's not for me to say, wow, what did he, hey, fans, I don't know what he meant by the word mark. Do you know what he meant by the word mark? No, I don't want to know what he meant by the word mark. (laughs) I just go on to the next thing, man. You got to do that. You understand that, don't you? Absolutely. All right. The next week, uh, Kurt defeats Wall Street I'm sorry, in about a minute, and then uh, Paige attacks Kurt afterwards. It looks like Kurt's got the upper hand and goes for his finisher, which they're calling the Henning Plex, uh, but Paige reverses it into the Diamond Cutter. Uh, the next week, Paige loses to six in about four minutes after Kurt interferes. Uh, the following week, Paige is paired with Ric Flair for a decent 10-minute match. It goes to a DQ. You can imagine Kurt interfered. Uh, that sets up the Road Wild pay-per-view, which was August 9th. Kurt and Paige have a sloppy match. It's not very uh, cohesive. Meltzer notes, quote, A lot of people were blaming all the heat on Paige that he has with so many of the top wrestlers now for the belief that his success has gone to his head. Because of that heat, his faults are emphasized, maybe overemphasized. What do you think about Meltzer's comment there? It may have had some validity. There may have been there. He page worked so hard and had was, was obviously given a very big push here as we know, because of his hard work that I'm sure there were, there's a lot of jealousy. Some of the guys were very, very jealous. Uh, so that he may have had, that may have had some validity on the next nitro page beats buff with the diamond cutter. Uh, and then uh, ran out ran out to do some interference in the main event, which was Randy Savage and Kurt. This time he was attacking Kurt, and he gave Savage the DQ win. But, of course, Savage winds up dropping multiple elbows on Paige until Luger made the save, and then we get another garbage shower from the fans. Mm. Uh, the next week, Luger and Paige took on Hall and Nash in the main event. Surprise, surprise, it was a DQ finish. We go to Clash of the Champions, August 21st. DDP and Luger team up to take on Scott Hall and Randy Savage. This was for the tag titles, even though Nash isn't involved. Uh, at some point in the match, DDP was blinded, bumps into Luger, and hits him with the Diamond Cutter, giving Hall and Savage the win. Meltzer gave it a star and a quarter. Uh, well, the- what did he give it a star and a quarter for? For the work rate or the finish? All of the above. Okay. August. Jamie, there, there's two there's two ways you can rate a match. You know, the guys worked their ass off, had some good spots, did some pretty good things, and the finish sucked. Or the guys sucked and the finish was okay. So I'm just wondering what what what's the determining factor here? They kind of repeat this angle on the next Nitro, except this time it's Luger who is blinded, and he winds up putting DDP in the torture rack by accident. Uh, and it's worth mentioning this comes about three weeks after Luger beat Hogan for the title on nitro right before road wild. And that was a huge moment for WCW and I'm sure we'll cover it in the future, but it did the biggest ratings in the history of cable television on wrestling at that time. Mm. Um, do you think this is, uh, Luger's biggest run 
of this era of his career? I mean, there's there's before there's the WCW run before the WWF and then after. But Luger in 1997 was as over as he would get. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, there's no question. There is no question. I mean, you and I kind of talked about uh, the, I guess it was our last one when we talked about uh, the Great American Bash. And now he probably should have won the title back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So on April, I'm sorry, September 1st, Luger's turn uh, to come out now and ask DDP uh, for an apology. And they're trying to patch things up. DDP doesn't come out Uh, in the end. They do a tag match where they team up and take on Scott Hall and Randy Savage in the main event. And somewhere in here, DDP refuses to tag in Luger for most of the match. And then when Luger does come in, he accidentally clotheslines Page, and that allows Hall to get the pin. Mm-hmm. Uh, September 8th, Page now challenges Luger to a match, which Luger accepts. But the crowd doesn't seem to be into it. But they're in the main event, and this time the NWO is surrounding the ring. Uh, the match is a no contest after Luger takes a tumble to the outside and the NWO pounces on him. Eventually, they shake hands, but this sets up the September 14th Fall Brawl show with Paige and Luger taking on Hall and Savage in a no DQ match that Meltzer gave two stars. Lots of uh, ref bumps. Uh, Scott Hall is on a tear with both Mickey J and Mark Curtis. Finally, Zabisco leaves the announcing booth and comes to the ring yelling at Scott Hall. And he counts the pin where Hall uh, takes the fall from Luger. Uh, September 15th, 1997, uh, we see DDP beat Stevie Richards in under four minutes. He had the next week off. The week after that, he beat Buff Bagwell in the opening match. October 6th now, he beats uh, Disco Inferno by DQ after Savage interfered. And this is the first time we see Piper being involved in this. Piper comes out to DDP's aid and Savage is about to pile drive him on the floor, uh, but instead DDP hits the diamond cutter. Uh, the next week on the 13th, we see Kurt Henning win the United States Championship from Kurt in somewhat of an odd finish. DDP rolls up Henning in a schoolboy while Ric Flair simultaneously interferes. Randy Anderson makes the three count, but then disqualified Page due to Flair's interference. Uh, Flair and Kurt would face each other at the next pay-per-view as a payoff from the War Games 97 turn. But now Roddy Piper, who is essentially the on-air authority figure at this point, reverses the decision. And the next week, they reverse it back again. Hmm. What the fuck is going on here? This is even hard to follow, Tony. Yeah, it's hard to follow what, with you reading it to me or talking about it to me. I, I don't know what's going. On. It, 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 this is this is a case. I, I mean, it's pretty apparent what they're doing with DDP here. Yes, and this is probably why why he has a lot of heat, right? I mean, he's being he's got Flair involved in his matches now. He's been involved with Savage. He's been involved with uh, Piper, Luger, Hogan. He's been involved the with giant, all the top stars. Sting. But this feels like if you're really trying to push the guy, why not just let him win the fucking belt? Why? you know, rob him of this big moment with this silly overbooked horse shit. Am I wrong? No, you're right. It's overbooked horse shit. And there was a lot of overbooked horse shit. And there's a lot of, uh, again, go, booking is, if, if a booker could sit down and say, I want this guy to go over, this guy to go over, and I want this guy to do this job, and here's how I want it to, uh, to be done, the booker's job would be pretty easy. But it's not always that easy. Because you got egos involved and you got people not wanting to do this and people say, why don't we do this? And then we'll come back and we'll do this and we'll make this do better. 
And then the booker says, okay, let's do that. There's a lot of input that the boys themselves would have into something like this. And probably not putting the blame on any one person, Conrad, but probably somebody came up with this idea and the booking committee said, let's go with it. Uh, the NWO wound up beating up uh, Piper and Page until a whole bunch of fake stings did run-ins being dispatched uh, one by one until the real sting was found to be amongst all the fakes, and he cleaned house. Uh, the next week, October 20th, we get a lot of the uh, NWO members laid out in the back, and there's a baseball bat, a Piper, and a DDP T-shirt left at the scene. Wink, wink. Uh, to close the show, Page and Piper dressed as Sting – that's right. Page and Piper dressed as Sting <laughs> uh, attack uh, the NWO, only to be beaten down until Sting made the real save. And then we get to Halloween Havoc, and this is kind of the cherry on top for the Randy Savage DDP feud. It was a Las Vegas sudden death match, the loser of which would be the man who wouldn't answer the referee's 10 count. And they go for like 20 minutes or so, and Savage wins after a fake Sting, believed to be Hogan, hit Paige with a baseball bat. Meltzer gives it three and one-quarter stars. What did you think of the Halloween Havoc match here? Uh, tremendous. I, I liked it because, uh, again, you got Savage, you got DDP. Both guys can work. Uh, the fake sting with a baseball bat, basically not bad, but I like the match a lot. Well, yeah. I agree it's the cherry on top for this uh, Savage uh, DDP angle. Yeah, I mean, for for DDP, from where he was in 96, to now have mm -hmm. this series of pay-per-view matches with Randy in 97, it was a big deal for him. Yeah, it was. Uh, on the next Nitro, you see Paige And not only that, let me say this, back to um, the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, it was a big deal for him, and he was working with the right guy. Yeah. Because I think if they say... A lot of people on Twitter will say, Shivani, what's the greatest match you've ever called? I will give them an answer based on what I've called. But if you ask me what is one of the greatest matches you've ever seen, it has to be Savage and Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. I consider the Macho Man Randy Savage one of the great workers of all time, one of the great professionals. And Diamond Dallas because of his hard work and because of his dedication, was put in the spot with a good guy to be put in a spot with. Absolutely. Um, the next night, Hogan takes on DDP, and uh, they go about 10 minutes before there's a DQ. Again, surprise, mm -hmm. uh, this time featuring another fake sting. After wrestling Hulk Hogan, what did Dallas Page do the next week? He had the week off. <laughs> uh, so the week after that... Uh, DDP takes on Kurt in a pretty good little U.S. title match. But, of course, Paige gets the DQ win. I don't know why this continues to happen. But one of the things I found interesting about this match in particular is after the match, uh, Henning goes to hit DDP with the belt, and Paige kicked the belt into Henning's face. And when Henning bumped, the belt goes up in the air and then comes down and lands on Henning's face, which splits his lip open. Do you remember this spot? This looks like a comedy of errors and very unlike anything we saw Kurt do. Yeah. That, you know, I, I know uh, that Kurt had had some time off, and you said that some of his stuff was kind of, yeah. But, you know, Kurt was a great worker. So uh, sure. yeah, this was just like Keystone Cops bullshit right here. Uh, November 17th, we saw Paige uh, go ahead and hit uh, Villano 5 and 4 
with the diamond cutter in about three minutes. And then we get to World War III, 1997. I have no fucking idea what this is. Uh, but Paige competed in a three-ring battle royal here, 59 guys. The final three come down to Hall, Page, and the Giant. And even though everyone started the match at the exact same time, one guy doesn't, and people expect that to be Kevin Nash, but it's not. Instead, it's Hulk Hogan, and he comes down and lays out Page. And then a seven-foot sting repels from the rafters, and Hogan was eliminated from the match by running away from this sting. That sting eliminates the giant, leaving Hall as the winner. And I guess this is Kevin Nash trying yeah. to play Sting here. Uh, but our poor friend, Mr. Shivani, has to try to sell it as being the real Sting. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is this? Now, this is a poor Mr. Shivani doing what he's fucking told is what it is. <laughs> I mean, what, you listen, what, what do you think I'm going to say? Okay. You, you know what I'm going to say. If they tell me it's the real Sting and I got to say it's the real Sting, I got to say it's the real Sting. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to say, that can't be the fucking sting, guys, but I'm going with it. I'm going with it. You, you know, you go with it, too. Come on with me. Let's all go. Yeah, I, what the fuck was this was going through my mind during the entire time there. So the next night, TDP has the night off. The week after that, December 1st, uh, Paige is taking on Kurt again. And this time he wins by DQ. Surprise. Rick Rude is here, and uh, he w- helps aid his old friend Kurt, but that gives Paige the DQ win. Uh, a little note I found in my notes here from the Observer, Randy Anderson was allegedly hit in the head by a golf ball thrown by a yeah. fan, and yeah. it, it staggered him. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. T- tell us how this happens. Uh, how does it happen? The, 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 fans, uh, the fans threw a lot of stuff. You know, someone threw a... At one time, threw a uh, nine volt battery, hit uh, Tanae in the face with it. Holy shit! Said, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I always, I always thought that whoever would throw golf balls or stuff like that, you know, throwing trash. I understand. I, I guess it leads to the, it leads to throwing golf balls, but throwing trash is kind of harmless. But if you throw a golf ball at somebody, you you want to hurt them. Yeah. You obviously would have heard him. I always thought that person, instead of being arrested, should have the, 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 the fuck beat out of him. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you were one of the cowardly son of a bitches who threw a golf ball at somebody at an, at an event, DM me on Twitter. I'd like to find out your fucking address, you piece of shit. <laughs> uh... That's cowardly bullshit, buddy. After the match, uh, Diamond Dallas. Now you got me all fired up here. I like it. Well, let's, I want to hear you talk about the time Hulk Hogan decided to do some diamond cutters on DDP. Yeah. I, bl- I blocked that out of my memory. Everybody else did too. Uh, <laughs> December 8th, uh, this is comical WCW stuff here. Uh, Scott Hall and DDP are wrestling. You want to guess? Is there a finish or you reckon it's another fucking DQ? <laughs> it's another DQ, more there NWO interference. And now, and now we know when I said back in uh, April of this year, how in the world did we go down the shitter? Now I'm finding out, aren't I? You As are. the year goes by. Uh, Sting repels down from the ceiling, but he can't unhook himself. <laughs> He's struggling. It's live TV and he cannot yeah, get unhooked. Yeah. It's like, uh, 
It's like Spinal Tap. We were like Spinal Tap in a way. Is that one of the more challenging things you've had to call? Yeah. That Sting's a badass. He's Sting's a up. badass, but he can't unhook himself, right? <laughs> what, what, I mean, come on now. What am I supposed to say here? I've, I've got to keep it up that he's a badass, right? What's what's tougher, calling Georgia football or this shit? Uh, no, it's this shit. Uh, December 15th, 1997, DDP comes to the aid of Ric Flair, who's being destroyed by Kurt in the NWO. And uh, Flair had been scheduled to face Kurt at Starcade, but wound up being replaced by Page because he needed rotator cuff surgery. Uh, he had the next week off, and then, of course, Starcade was on December 28th. And here, DDP wins the U.S. title in an okay two-star match per Dave Meltzer, uh, and he gets the finish with a diamond cutter coming out of Kurt's finisher, which was his old version of the perfect plex. Right. Uh, the next night, we see DDP defeat his great friend Mortis uh, with a quick diamond cutter, and this was his first U.S. title defense. Uh, week after that, we're in 1998 now, January 5th. DDP defends the belt against Chris Jericho, which may be the first time they've wrestled on television. He gets the win with a diamond cutter, and this is one week after Jericho had started to turn heel and attack Dave Penzer the week before. Mm. Uh, the debut of Thunder was that Oof. very Thursday, and in the main event, Diamond Dallas Page took on Kevin Nash and won by DQ. Uh, yeah. ar- Thunder, Thunder 1-8-1998. Remember that date, fans. Remember that date. Is that when it was all over? That's when it, that's when the big slide began. That's when it began right there. Um, in 1998, DDP was uh, injured, and they do an angle where he's injured and gives him some time off. So he missed sold out and uh, Super Brawl, uh, but he did not miss. No, actually, he didn't miss Super Brawl. Yeah, it was 99. He did miss Super Brawl. Uh, so in 98, uh, his first, his second pay-per-view, uh, or I guess his first pay-per-view as U.S. champion, is going to be uncensored. And this is an interesting combination of guys here because he defended in a three-way against Raven and Chris Benoit. And allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo, Meltzer says that Benoit was not happy that he was involved in this match. And he felt like he was just being thrown in here and didn't really have any sort of issue Uh, The end of the match comes with DDP hitting a top rope diamond cutter on Raven. It was supposed to go through a table. The table spot was there, but probably a disappointment. What do you remember about this three-way? I do remember uh, Benoit kind of being upset about being in it. Uh, uh, You know, Chris was not uh, as far as being overly vocal backstage, but I do remember him being angry about being in this match. Uh, Again, because of what you just said, because of the guy's... Uh, maybe being more featured than he was. You know, Benoit didn't need a, a match like this. No, he a didn't. Match. Uh, let's get to the next pay-per-view, Spring Stampede 1998. This time we see Diamond Dallas continuing his feud with Raven. Uh, he had done it all the way in all the shows in the meantime, but now here's our payoff, uh, or so we think. It's Spring Stampede, it's a great brawl. Uh, essentially a hardcore match and Raven wins after the flock interferes and he hits his even flow DDT. Uh, now really the angle here is to get the belt off of him so they can put it on Goldberg. They didn't want to have Goldberg beat DDP. So Raven is essentially a transition champion. Uh, did you think right here pulling the belt off of DDP 
is a sign that WCW had lost confidence in him or just a sign that, you know, Goldberg had the rocket ship strapped to his ass and nobody could compete with his momentum by this point. I think it's a sign that we had too much TV to do and you had to move everybody through. And I, and I don't think you losing the belt takes, uh, any steam off of anybody. If you work it right and bring it back, I don't think you can point to one match. I think you and I have talked about this before. I don't think you can point to one match and say, oh, well, he lost the belt, so he's done. No, He I, doesn't have the steam he used to. I agree with that. I, I just, uh, again, and, and I'm serious about this. I know, Conrad, you and I bullshit a lot. More bullshit comes from your end than mine. But uh, I, I think that when you have so much TV you've got to do, and everybody says you got to give them a finish, can't give them a screw job finish, you just uh, you water down your product. And I think that was uh, a part of that. The next pay-per-view, Slamboree from 1998. Uh, a lot of people remember this as being the show where Bischoff called out Vince McMahon. We'll talk about it on another show, I'm sure. Uh, but this is our payoff to the Raven DDP feud. They have a Bowery death match. And if you remember, the old Raven promos used to show that he was in the, uh, the underside of the building doing these promos. Well, this match is essentially a hell in a cell match with weapons and 10 count knockout rules. It's probably not as good as their previous match, uh, but we do see the same old interference from the flock. But ultimately, mm-hmm. our hero comes out victorious and DDP wins with the diamond cutter. Uh, and this kind of ends the business with Raven and frees him up to get going on what's probably going to be the highlight of DDP's 1998, and that's the Carl Malone business. Uh, Meltzer would mention in the June 1st Observer that Rodman is all but confirmed for a tag match at the July pay-per-view bash at the beach, but that they were looking at bringing in another big name to be Page's partner. And Meltzer suggests that it's probably going to be Utah Jazz power forward Carl Malone, who had become friends with DDP, was throwing up the diamond cutter signs in games, had a long t- conversation on the phone with Goldberg and had been mentioned by WCW announcers multiple times. And he speculated in the June 8th edition of the observer that Hogan had politicked to try to get page out of the match and replaced by Savage since he felt like Savage had more mainstream appeal and a higher name value. So let's just talk about this whole piece of business for a minute, Tony. How do you remember the Carl Malone affiliation coming about and why do you think DDP was the guy, in your opinion? Well, the Carmelone affiliation was uh, pretty logical because he was a big wrestling fan. Now, you say he was a friend of Diamond Dallas Page. Sure, but before that, he he was a big wrestling fan. Anytime that we were, uh, we were in Salt Lake City and he was in town, he always came out to our events. So Malone was very much known as a, as a wrestling fan. Now... I think Page was put into this match because probably you said, you know, he, he loses the U.S. title and maybe he's lost some steam, but now they come right back with a big mainstream angle for him to be involved in. I think it's just a way to, to get him back involved in the – back towards the top. Does that make sense to you? No, it totally does. Okay. Um, Bischoff has said that he felt like 
DDP was the right guy because he would take this seriously. Yes. And he would work hard at it and yes. he would put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the matches were good. And and he right. even talked about the Jay Leno thing, which we'll get to in a minute and said that he felt like with anybody else, this affiliation could maybe hurt the credibility of some of the top guys, but with DDP, he wasn't quite to that level and it would actually work the opposite for him and would bring his profile up. Um, I Bischoff's exactly right. Yeah. My, the, Randy Savage did not need to be in this match. I agree. So there you go. Uh, yeah. I do want to mention what a big douche big uh, Bob Costas is. During the yeah. uh, finals, uh, the Bulls are playing the Jazz, which, of course, is where Rodman and Malone are playing. And at some point, these two get tangled up. They both play the same position forward. And uh, they start throwing some elbows. And this led Bob Costas, who was doing commentary or play-by-play, uh, to make some kind of... I don't know, slanderous, shitty remarks about wrestling, saying that they had a a bogus wrestling match and are wondering why they would lower themselves to that level. How big of a douche is Bob, Cast- Bob Costas? I don't know him personally, but uh, he, uh, he can kiss my fucking fat ass. French kiss it is what he can do. Okay. Okay. Fuck him. Did you see the uh, XWF or... Uh, yes, the XFL, XFL thing. thing? Yes. Yeah. And the way he approached Vince, I mean, he was, Bob Costas always thought he was above everyone else. He always thought that, and I guess still does, with the Olympics, with NBC, he is the go-to guy about baseball, about the history of baseball, about how wonderful baseball. You know what? Fuck him. I know more baseball than he's ever, I've forgotten more baseball than Bob Costas has ever known. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it, And you know what? I didn't go to Syracuse either. So fuck him. <laughs> I love you, Dick Lick. Uh, June 29th. No, don't make that. Don't put that on the shirt. (laughs) Don't put Syracuse Dick Lick on the shirt because I got a lot of friends who went to Syracuse. Okay. Uh, I love you. And they're good guys. All right. There's a lot of people from Syracuse that feel that they that they graduate from Syracuse and they graduate from the the journalism school there and automatically should be on ESPN. Uh, but there's a lot of them that don't. A lot of them are good, hardworking kids. So don't make that a T-shirt. Talking to you, Matt. Uh, June 29th, 1998. Nitro is centered around following an 18-wheeler, which contains Diamond Dallas Page and Carl Malone. Carl owns a trucking company at the time. Uh, and this truck is on its way to the arena and, of course, Bischoff, Hogan, and the NWO are waiting on them to arrive, and they're prepared to beat them down. Well, then when they do arrive, they run off the rest of the NWO, and Bischoff and Hogan are unaware of this, and they're in the ring doing a promo. Uh, they actually sneak in the ring without them noticing and then make their presence known by clanging their chairs together. So Hogan and Bischoff go into full coward mode and start begging off uh, and then they have the big face off where eventually they lock up and Malone body slams Hogan, throws a couple of clotheslines, and then Hogan bails out of the ring. Uh, this is a pretty hot angle, and this has to be feeling like you guys have struck gold here. Do you right. consider this one of the high points of WCW this July 1998? 
one of the high points of that year or all of all of WCW? Well, the reason I say is because, you know, that's on June 29th. A week later, you're going to have Goldberg uh, win the the world title from Hulk Hogan. And a week right. after that, or two weeks after that, yeah, it's a week after that, you got Bash at the Beach with Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone. I mean, inside of a 10-day period here, you've got a fucking lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on, a lot of crossover. Mainstream media mainstream sports a lot of crossover it was a big it was a big time for us that that summer was a big time for us no doubt about it but i don't know if this particular angle was one of the biggest highlights of wcw i don't know if i would go that far well i guess I what think, i mean is just this stretch because you've got this nitro yeah, where malone does the agree. debut a week after that is the uh the georgia dome title switch and then six days after that is the payoff with the nba players it feels like as far as a week in wrestling goes, that's about yeah. as fucking good as you can get. Yeah, and then of course on later on in the summer we've got Road Wild. Yeah, so, yeah, it was it was a big run for us. There's no question about it. Bash at the Beach was July 12th, and uh, as a reminder, it's Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman taking on DDP and Carl Malone. It got uh, a star and a quarter from Meltzer. The finish sees Hogan and Rodman win after the disciple, which is Brutus the fucking barber beefcake, uh, gives a stunner to DDP. And after the match, Malone gave a diamond cutter to the disciple and referee Charles Robinson. Uh, Ratings-wise, it didn't look like Malone and Rodman were doing a whole lot. But this pay-per-view had one of the best buy rates of the year. It actually was the best buy rate of the year for WCW that year. It wasn't too far behind Starcade 97, which broke every WCW record there was. So this was a huge success. And I guess the thinking here, Tony, is let's double down on this. And you guys almost immediately jump right into the Jay Leno angle. Um, and I want to, we're going to talk about this in long form later. I'm sure more, but Bischoff had supposedly planned to do a bunch of segments where he would do a terrible spoof of the tonight show, just basically rehashing Leno's jokes uh, from the previous week. And this was scrapped after they tried it a time or two and it took a, a, a nosedive in the ratings and then they actually took over the Tonight Show, which we'll talk about at some point in the future, I'm sure. Um, and then Leno takes the show back over with the assistance from DDP to kind of set up the angle. And I, like I said, I know we're going to cover this in great detail one day, but this has got to be probably, if it's not the, it's one of the biggest mainstream crossovers in wrestling history to be on the Tonight Show like this, was it not? I remember when I watched that. I remember distinctly when I watched that, thinking back to the uh, the Kip Fry days at WCW, where we had, if you'll recall, and I think we have discussed this before, they had uh, WCW Saturday night, and they had Jim Ross do interviews in the ring, and they tried their best to get crossover people. They had uh, members of the group Alabama come out. Uh, we had some uh, football players come out. We wanted to get in the mainstream back then and we never really could we tried but we never really could and now if you will fast forward to this one seeing i remember seeing bischoff sit at the tonight show desk with his feet propped up i remember thinking this is this is fucking big we're talking about the tonight show which was before jay leno johnny carson right which was the biggest show on TV at that time. So to have him come out and do that, what I call an angle on the tonight show to me was one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing that we'd ever done. We'd wanted to get crossover. 
And we got it big time with that. No Would doubt. You agree? No, it was huge. Yeah, it was absolutely huge. Uh, I want to talk about the match. Road Wild, August 17th. It's uh, DDP and Jay Leno taking on Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff. Leno's participation consisted of uh, photo ops, essentially. It was a top wrist lock, uh, a few punches, a double-team clothesline, and then taking some abuse from Hogan. Uh, Leno's band leader, Kevin Eubanks, was also involved and gave Bischoff a diamond cutter that wasn't terrible. And uh, it gets a star and a quarter from Meltzer. Tony, lots of old school wrestling folks think this whole Jay Leno involvement here was essentially making a mockery of the business. And Bischoff has maintained it was great crossover and that DDP was the best guy for the reasons we just laid out before. What do you think? Was this a mockery to have Jay Leno uh, putting a move on Hulk Hogan here? Or did you not take it that seriously? No, 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 no. Back up here. Conrad, uh, lots of old school wrestling folks. Name one. Bobby Heenan. Okay. I think Bobby's wrong. Okay. Absolutely, I think Bobby's wrong. And Bobby did a lot of crazy crossover silly shit in his day. Give me another one. Well, I think Bobby's the the one that I thought carried the most weight, and he okay. was he was really only critical about two things that I recall in a big way in WCW. Okay. Um, besides you, of course, and you being a scumbag, mm-hmm. but this particular piece, and then uh, Starcade '98 and the finish with Goldberg, which we've covered before, he right. feels like both of those were hugely detrimental to the future of WCW. Yeah, I I can't see with the crossover that we got. And using DDP in that spot, as Eric said, because, you know, didn't damage a top guy. I can't see where it hurt us. Absolutely cannot see where it hurt us. The uh, the next week on... Some of the crazy things that the old WWF did that Heena was involved in back then. I don't disagree. Yeah. Uh, August 24th, 1998. Uh, DDP cuts a promo about war games. Roddy Piper comes out and agrees to team with page at war games. August 31st, 98, we get another Piper page interview. This time the giant comes out and destroys both of them and is taken away in handcuffs on September 7th. DDP confronts the wolf pack, which is at the time sting Luger and Nash. And he's actually treated as a heel by the crowd, uh, which is maybe the first time we saw a lot of booze. But, you know, the, the Wolfpack was so popular there. Uh, they end up setting up Piper and Page against Sting and Luger. Of course, it's a DQ, more NWO interference. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fall Brawl of 1998 is the match that killed the War Games once and for all. Uh, Page ended up winning the match, but it was fucking horrible. Uh, the crowd was dead, uh, and it ended with Team NWO Black and White member Bret Hart pulling Page out of the way of a Stevie Ray slapjack shot. And then Page hit Stevie Ray with a diamond cutter for the win. And it got a dud of a reaction. Meltzer gave the match negative four stars. And this was the last time we would see war games at Fall Brawl. Uh, certainly the end of an era. Why do you think this match was so poorly received, Tony? Probably because the NWO was really watered down by then. Mm-hmm. Had NWO black and white, and the NWO didn't mean as much as it used to. You know, maybe in hindsight, the NWO had its run by that time. Yeah. 
But uh, there's no question the NWO was watered down. And uh, much as I love Stevie Ray, maybe he didn't need to be involved in this. Uh, a week later on Nitro, Alex Wright challenged DDP and says if he wins, he wants a shot against Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Diamond Cutter ends the match. It only goes about 90 seconds. Uh, Page then gets Goldberg chants and a smattering of boos during the post-match promo. Halloween Havoc, 1998. This is what we've been building towards Goldberg and DDP, and it surpassed everyone's expectations. We broke this down and this giant clusterfuck in great detail on our Goldberg episode that's available in our archives now. More than a quarter million of you have checked it out, but if you missed it, go listen to it. Uh, We break it down. It wins the uh, match of the year for WCW in 1998. And, uh, this one was a good one by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I should briefly mention here that dusty Rhodes had kind of been campaigning to have this finish of the match be where it was believable that Goldberg, if he was going to lose, could lose to a diamond cutter because the move was so over right. that there may be an opportunity where maybe uh, he posts himself trying to do a spear and then DDP manages to, to still somehow, sneak a diamond cutter on him, um, and, and get the win. But for whatever reason that didn't happen. Do you remember there being a groundswell of folks who thought that this is the time to make page the champion or was that, uh, kind of just a whisper and, and it was over. Yeah, there was just a whisper. I don't, I don't think there was a, a groundswell for that at that time at all. Uh, go back to this Halloween havoc match. Yeah. You know, we talked about it, as you said earlier, How it was a great match. And it was a great match with uh, a guy, Goldberg, who was still very much green. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Who had one jackhammer maneuver and looked legit. And a guy, DDP, who was going to put the effort into making that match work. It, the prep into it. it. I think it says a lot about DDP here. Uh, he may have ended the next week or the next month, rather. Uh, it was World War Three, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, it was in uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills in Michigan, and he took on Bret Hart for the United States Championship. Uh, he, of course, being the United States Championship champion himself, DDP, and he defeated Bret Hart after about eighteen minutes, and that was the main event. Uh, fast forward to Starcade ninety eight, and we see DDP this time in the co-main event. Sandwiched between Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair, and of course our main event, which we've already covered, of Kevin Nash and Goldberg, uh, DDP would beat the Giant in about 12 minutes. He had the longest match on the card, uh, and and it only goes 12 minutes and 45 seconds. But still, that shows you that they're taking him as a main eventer very seriously. Uh, the next pay-per-view was sold out 1999. He was not involved in that one. The main event of that was Goldberg and Scott Hall. Um, super brawl nine, we did see him in action this time, uh, taking on Scott Steiner for the television championship and Scott Steiner gets the win there. Now there's talk, at least in the observer that in that match in particular, fans started to turn a little bit and boo him more than normal. Uh, there was maybe a small section of fans who weren't digging DDP by this point, but by and large, he's still getting good pops. But when he does the stretcher job for Scott Steiner here at the Super Brawl, it's not really the same reaction they were hoping for. When do you remember there being some concern as to whether or not this was working him as a babyface? Probably, probably right after uh, Sturgis. 
Okay. You know, after after, after you know, Jay he got, Leno. He got a, yeah, he got a pretty good run, as, yeah. we, as we know, from 97 through 98. And there's just so much that that the fans want to see of a person. And, and again, it's uh, we're in the thunder. We're in the thunder uh, uh, era now where people are getting overexposed. And people see enough of you they don't want to see anymore. People saw enough of me. They didn't want to see me anymore because every time they turned on WCW, I was flapping my yap. Right. And they didn't want to see anymore. And I really think that that page was probably getting overexposed. And, of course, it all depended on what town you were in as well. You know, we had some heel towns and some babyface towns. That happened a lot, too. Yeah. Um. Bret Hart uh, win, won that match. I forgot to mention that he uh, he won the United States Championship in Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm. uh, on November thirtieth of nineteen ninety eight. It was on Nitro. It was an ODQ match, uh, but none of that really matters because what we're talking about is Spring Stampede of nineteen ninety nine, and it's worth mentioning here. It's Tacoma, Washington. And they have every major star in the history of the business, it feels like, jammed into one match. Uh, Ric Flair's coming in as the champion, and he's defending against Hulk Hogan, who's recently turned babyface, Sting, uh, and DDP. And the special guest referee, after a long absence off of TV, is a larger-than-ever Randy Savage with Gorgeous George, who is essentially a Pamela Anderson clone. Uh, Process this for a minute. Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Sting... Macho Man Randy Savage and Diamond Dallas Page. So WCW had so much talent in 1999, but by this point, business is trending down. After we just talked about what a great high it was in mid to late summer of 1998, it's down significantly by spring of 99. They had been advertising Hogan and Flair main events, and ticket sales were dying. They had only sold 5,800 for Miami, 5,100 for Tampa, and 4,300 for Philadelphia. So the rumor and innuendo in the Observer is that Hogan has decided he wants to take himself off TV for a while, feeling he had gotten stale. And Bischoff had planned to make Sting and Goldberg the top baby faces moving forward. So they replace Hogan on those shows. And Meltzer wrote, no one will remember that Hogan went on the road with these major markets and couldn't come close to filling the buildings during the hottest part in wrestling history because it won't happen. So he feels like it was smart politically and strategically for Hogan to take a break here, even though he was the person not drawing on top because the heat would ultimately, in the way the story was spanned in years to come, not come down on Hogan. Do you remember Hogan wanting to step away here and freshen himself up because he felt stale? Yeah, well, I think, uh, yeah, I, I do remember that. I, I remember, uh, again, uh, overexposed. It's like I said, well, let's go back uh, 30 minutes in this show. When Thunder debuted, overexposure will lead to this stuff. People are not going to want to buy tickets in Miami, not going to buy tickets in Tampa, not want to go to buy tickets in Philadelphia if they've seen everything on TV. Yeah. They're not. You know, Eric, but that was not Eric's plan. Eric wanted this to be a television company and not an arena company. So... Yeah, I remember Hogan wanting to take some time off. He was right. Meltzer writes, the end result was that Diamond Dallas Page became the most unlikely world champion of this lineal organization since Ronnie Garvin in 1987. Page, 44, 
who did work hard enough and smart enough to take advantage of the doors opened for him by having friends in high places, parentheses, I'd suggest that 85% of wrestlers put in the same position as Paige with the same friends wouldn't have accomplished close to what he has because they wouldn't have worked as hard to get it. But the other 15% would have worked that hard and probably all be much bigger stars given the same opportunities to actually make himself into a legitimate star in the sport. The fans have never quite accepted him as a star nearly on the level he was being pushed, although they do accept him as a star since he was positioned as much during a star-making period in wrestling with all the mainstream viewers. In recent weeks, the crowd had begun to turn against him, most notably at Super Brawl in San Francisco, where he did the stretcher injury job for Scott Steiner to gain sympathy, and the result was the opposite. The reaction led to those in power suggesting that he turn heel. And he didn't quite do that. So they thought about maybe turning him heel here, according to the rumor and innuendo, Tony, because of the reaction at Super Brawl. And they had him do kind of a hard edge promo, but it goes the other way and the fans cheer it. Do you remember them flirting with the idea of making DDP a heel in early 99 here? No, I don't remember that. And I can't say that just because of one Super Brawl pay-per-view that they would want him to turn heel. I'm not so sure in in these in these straight, and our listeners probably can chime in on this and think about this as we're talking. In in the straight heel babyface world, was Diamond Dallas Page always a true babyface? He always kind of had that heel edge to him, didn't he? Yeah, he always had a heel edge. I would agree with yeah. that. Right. I mean, he was as as Melter said, he was older. He was 44 years of age. Uh, and uh, he was not a pretty boy by any stretch of the imagination. He looked like a, a hard time rock and roll guy. So I, I think he always had that edge to him. I don't think there was, I don't think there, there was one thing that made them say, let's make him a heel. What did you think of the decision to put the belt on him? I thought it was tremendous. You liked it. I did. Absolutely. I liked it. Meltzer wrote, Page was working as a face in the four-way title match with Flair, Sting, and Hogan with Randy Savage as referee, but he got the weakest crowd reaction coming out of the five. Yeah. When Page, due to Savage turning on Flair, used the diamond cutter on Flair to win the title, the title change pop, despite it having a totally hot crowd in Tacoma, was as weak as you'll ever see for a world title change. Hmm. So Meltzer goes on to be pretty critical here of dallas and he says you know that um instead you have a guy who works hard and is generally a good worker although he wasn't in this match but he still has none of the charisma drawing power ability to pull off great interviews and angles and most importantly the ratings pulling power that flair has but flair's lone drawback the age is the same problem page has since he's 43 but looks considerably older than his age did you think Diamond Dallas Page didn't look like a world champion, or was that a concern for you? Well, what is a world champion supposed to look like? I love you for that because I agree. Yeah, uh, he kind of. Yeah, we we can you know we can just uh, split hairs on this all we want. I'm not so sure you always say that your promotion is based on who is the world champion at any time. And I know, I know, you're going to get into David Arquette one day sooner or later. Sure. Uh, but I, I'm just, to me, it's the, it's the whole thing. It's the, 
It's everything lumped into one that makes you a good promotion. Not necessarily who is your world heavyweight champion for two weeks right? or whatever. Well, it's funny you mention that because um, when this happens, Dave compares multiple times DDP winning to Garvin beating Flair in 87. And he says right. that when Garvin won, the building popped huge for the title change. Even though when Garvin came out wearing the belt, it was referred to as Flair's belt and his title reign and TV ratings just nosedived and that most people would probably be better off just forgetting he was ever even champion. And he suggested, and this is right after he wins the belt, that Paige would probably have a similar short run with people already speculating he would drop it at the next pay-per-view to Kevin Nash, which would be Slambury on May 9th. But... He didn't make it to May 9th. He lost it two weeks later to Sting. So do you feel like the reaction and that it kind of didn't meet expectations, that it wasn't this big super pop, or was it the ratings, or people lost confidence? Why pivot two weeks later? I think that was all in the plan. I think they were the plan was to give him the belt and then have him uh, drop it later. I don't think there was any plan to have him be a long-run champion. You cannot compare. You can't do this. You cannot compare 1987 to 1998 or 1999. You can't do that. The business is different, completely different. It was an arena business back then. It's not an arena business now. So it's hard to do that. So. Well, I'll tell you this. If you'd like to be a champion, I can guarantee you won't just want a, a two-week run with any of the fine belts over at leatherbydan.com. Am I right? Now you're exactly right because, bang, much like the diamond cutter, leatherbydan.com and this commercial have just come out of nowhere. How about that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I would say self-high-five, but I may get sued by somebody. Just go to leatherbydan.com, and you'll see lots of belts that are available. You know, last week... I talked about getting a belt for your Fantasy League baseball team, right? Yeah. And the champion. Here's another idea to get a belt. If you're going to have a bachelor party for your great friend who's getting ready to get married, get him a belt, okay? And on the belt, have it say, you have fucked up your life, heavyweight champion of the world. (laughs) Isn't that a great idea? I love it. I love it. And once all of you get drunk that night, him over the head with the belt. Having to do a blade job or whatever. <laughs> Leatherbydan.com. You'll see lots of belts that are available now. But maybe the most fun about Leatherbydan.com is that you can create your very own, as I said, custom belt. Are you ready for this? It's only $9.99. Less than $1,000. You can get a custom three-plate nickel championship belt to your exact specifications over at Leatherbydan.com. Yes, you can put on there, you have fucked up your life, heavyweight champion of the world. I like it. Yeah. Dan offers free shipping, a custom belt in as little as 10 weeks. He even takes payment plans. Now, that's a deal. If you enjoy the show, we hope you do. Please support our sponsors. And Dan was our very first sponsor. Check out leatherbydan.com and be sure to click our WHW logo for the special offer. That's leatherbydan.com to feel the bang. But you know why the best reason to check out leatherbydan.com is? Why is that? Because Dan is the fucking man. I like it. Uh, this match where DDP wins the belt goes just over 17 minutes and Meltzer gave it a star and a half. Dave wrote sting worked with page and they had no rhythm and nobody cared when flair worked with page. It was a total mess. Uh, is, was that your perception or in your opinion, reading this back, does Dave Meltzer just have a hard on for DDP at the time? Well, it, it, yeah, 
I, I would think he does, but here's the here's the deal. Flair is old school and DDP is not. I don't think Flair would ever have gone out and rehearsed a match. Right. DDP would wanted to do that. Not only that, as great and hard worker as DDP was, and it's there was sometimes you would just have to say, okay, Flair, you've called all these matches all these years. It goes back to one of our earlier episodes when I said that Ricky Morton said that is why Ric Flair is a world heavyweight champion. Ric Flair needed to lead a match, every match he was in, because he was so good at it, about psychology, about working. And probably Diamond Dallas wanted to do a couple of things of his own. And I, I can just see where Flair, old school, and Page, back in the late 90s, new school, would have been oil and water. Uh, the finish comes after Flair got the figure four on Sting, but Sting got to the ropes. Uh, Savage refused to break it and instead dragged them to the middle. So theoretically, that would be helping Flair. But instead, Macho Man climbed to the top rope and came down with an elbow onto Flair. And then DDP hit the diamond cutter on Flair for the pin. And your new world heavyweight champion for the very first time is me. It's me. It's DDP. Uh, so we just did a show like this for the rise of Goldberg. It's in the archives. Now, if you'd like to see from his debut of September of 1997, uh, up until when he lost the belt in January of 98. And we've seen all of his success he's had in the last few months with the WWE. And now we know his WrestleMania plans with the pay-per-view last night, but today was DDP's day here on the show. And he gets his chance to take his rightful spot, at least in my opinion, in the WWE hall of fame at the end of this month. How do you hope that history remembers DDP and his rise in WCW, Tony? I hope they remember his rise in WCW as a guy that worked hard, busted his ass, and is is proof that you can uh, get ahead if you put the time and the effort into whatever you want to do. Diamond Dallas Page has gone on to do some great things since wrestling. Absolutely. Very well well documented. His work with Jake the Snake and his work with – Scott Hall and his DDP yoga has done some tremendous things. Uh, I consider him a friend, and I'm I'm very, very happy that I was all a part of this. Plus, Kimberly was there a lot, and she was always good to look at. Now, wasn't she? Uh, yes, sir. She was. Yes, she was always good to look at. Well, what else is good to look at is this week's poll. Cruise on over to WHW on Twitter. It's WHW Monday on Twitter. And you get to see our poll that's up right now, and you can go ahead and put a vote in for what you want to hear next week. It's worth mentioning, Tony Schiavone is on Twitter, and he is looking forward to blocking your ass at Tony Schiavone 24 <laughs> I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. Uh, if you've been blocked or unblocked, uh, be sure to support the show and all of our blocking yeah. efforts at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Let's run through our poll topics this week, Tony. Poll topic number one ready to rumble the movie uh, we had a lot of requests this week because on our sister show something to wrestle with bruce pritchard we covered beyond the mat and bruce and i essentially did running commentary for the movie so if poll topic number one ready to rumble the movie actually wins the poll we'll do running commentary what are what are some of the uh, behind the scenes insights you may be able to offer on ready to rumble tony 
I do know that the director, and I can't remember his name right now, got very pissed off at me uh, because I was, I wrote an article on the WCW magazine about how miserable it was to do a movie. Brian we Robbins. Were basically locked on the backstage area. Uh, and he, and I was, I was trying to be, as you know, irreverent as I am here, trying to be funny. He didn't take it that way. And uh, I don't know, do you remember his name? Brian Robbins. Brian Robbins? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's a little sawed off prick, too. Okay. All right. So there you go. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ready to Rumble, uh, don't spoil it and watch it. <laughs> you'll, want, <laughs> you'll want to watch it next week and share in some of the awfulness with us. Uh, yeah. Ball topic number two, it's pretty timely. We're coming up on the anniversary now. I can't believe it. It's been 16 years later this yes. month since the very last Monday Night Nitro on TNT. Poll topic number two is the last Monday Nitro. What might we talk about if that wins, Tony? Uh, we probably talk about what happened backstage and how the mood was there, how the mood was afterwards, and how we still didn't know, even when the show went, even then when we threw it to the WWE, we still didn't know as a company where we were going. We had no idea. We didn't know if we were going to be a WWE office, we still didn't know. So, still a lot of questions to be to be answered, even though we had the very Nitro, the very last Nitro that time, on that day. Well, it wouldn't be March in WCW if we didn't talk about Uncensored. So, we've got more of that than we can shake a stick at. March 24th, 1996 was Uncensored 1996, and lots of craziness on the card. But let me just give you some names who are on there. Conan, Eddie Guerrero, the Belfast Bruiser, Lord Steven Regal, Colonel Robert Parker, wrestling Medusa, the Booty Man and Diamond Dallas Page, the Giant and Loch Ness, that's right, Sting and Booker T taking on the Road Warriors, and are you ready for this? I am. Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man taking on Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ming, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z Gangsta, and the Ultimate Solution with Woman, Miss Elizabeth, and Jimmy Hart. It's two on 30. It's Doomsday, the cage match from Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, in a few words, Tony, your favorite memory of Uncensored 96? Medusa. Those are your two favorite memories. Right, I've memories. Uh, I told Colonel Parker, I said, if you don't want to wrestle her, I will. Have you and always the, been a hornball like this? Yeah, I'll do the job for. I've, I've always been what? Have you always been a hornball like this? Uh, yes, yeah, somewhat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I love Medusa. Who didn't? Roll Tide. Yeah, she was. I mean, she she told me one time, she said, I'll kick you in the head. I said, you damn straight you will. Anytime you want, baby. I like it. Yeah. Hey, I want to mention a couple of things here real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, WrestleCon is coming up, WrestleMania weekend. I'm going to be on JR's. Uh, Can I give the fourth poll topic, you dick fuck? Nah, shit. Go ahead. Uncensored 1999, March 14th. Uh, it's in Louisville, Kentucky. This yeah. is the pay per view right before DDP would win at Spring Stampede. Uh, hmm. Kind of an interesting card here. You've got Mikey Whiprick challenging for the cruiserweight title against Billy Kidman. Uh, Vincent is taking on Stevie Ray. That's a barn burner, you know. Uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. taking on Kevin Nash. That's a real match. Uh, Sonny Ono and Ernest Miller uh, taking on Jerry Flynn. Uh, Raven, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Hack 
have a false count anywhere match. He's the Sandman. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko take on Kurt and Barry Windham. Uh, that's the rap is crap duo, if you don't recall. Perry Saturn takes on Chris Jericho with Ralphus. They have a dog collar match here. Booker T takes on Scott Steiner for the World Television Championship. And then in your main event, in a barbed wire steel cage. I mean, when you think about a first blood match with a barbed wire steel cage, don't you think of Hulk Hogan first? I know I do. And he takes on Ric Flair. Uh, and that is poll topic number four. So let's quickly recap. Number one, ready to rumble. And if you vote for that, don't go watch the movie. We'll watch it together next week. Poll topic number two, the last Monday Nitro. That's what we're doing. We both know that. Uh, Poll topic number three, uncensored 1996. This is hilarious. Uh, It's the Hulkamaniacs and the Macho Madness versus the entire fucking company in a doomsday cage. And then uncensored 1999, Ric Flair becomes the man again. And a first blood barbed wire steel cage match with Hulk Hogan. Can't believe that really happened, but it did. So those are your poll topics. Cruise on over, place that vote right now. It's on Twitter at WHW Monday. Now, Tony, let's talk about WrestleCon. Lots of people are wanting to know, are you going to be there? Is Deborah being signed and announced right after you a rib? No, it's not a rib. Uh, Deborah and I have communicated with each other. She's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, Lois will not be there. Be there. She What's has her, Lois is still not coming, right? Uh, no, she's not invited. Okay. She's not coming and she's not invited. Got it. <laughs> exactly. But I am, I am going to be there uh, with the RF video. I'm going to be signing uh, autographs for a couple of days on the 31st and April 1st. But on Saturday, April 1st, I'm going to be part of uh, Jim Ross's live show. JR's live show is going to be at the Plaza Live Orlando. And I'm going to be there with uh, Paul O'Brien, who is the uh, co-author of his book, on Saturday. Uh, Jim Ross and our buddy Bruce Pritchard are going to be there on Sunday. That's going to be uh, 2.30 to 4. The uh, The event is going to be hosted both days by Tyrus. If you watch Fox News, you see him on the Greg Gutfeld Show. And he's also on Impact Wrestling. You can get your tickets at TicketFly.com. Uh, it's ringside with Jr. and I'm going to be part of that. And I'm really excited about uh, talking to Jr. again and uh, and uh, kind of talking about some of the good old days. And when we, Jr. and I talk about the good old days, it's going to be the old Crockett days. I can tell you that when we worked together back in the uh, late '80s. And if you're listening and you haven't seen Jr.'s live show, I can't recommend it enough. I've seen it a half dozen times. It's great every time. He finds a way to make each one different and, and entertaining. So even if you've seen it before, I encourage you to go see it again, especially when you've got the different guests in here like Tony. Tony hasn't done a lot of this stuff. Uh, Tony and JR together for something like this will be fucking awesome, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, I can't help but notice when I cruise on over to the WrestleCon website and I click on the official guests, and I see that you're on here, and you have yeah. your profile picture. I look right above it and directly above you, right on top of you, smothering you, if you will, is Deborah McMichael. This is a rib. That's not a rib. Maybe some people wanted it that way. You ever you ever thought about that? Have you looked at the picture? Because they they magically put the logo for WrestleCon in a strategic place on her picture here. Did they really? I feel like this is on purpose, and this is genius marketing. Uh, we encourage you to go to WrestleCon.com and click on the official guest spot there. Uh, you'll see Deborah's picture. You'll see Tony's picture. You'll be in the loop on what we're talking about. Mm. 
I can't wait. I'm going to reconnect with her, with Medusa. I can't wait. <laughs> Sounds like you've uh, already planned to make new memories that weekend. Hey, here's the deal, man. I I cut my teeth in wrestling with Klondike Bill. What do you expect? Uh, I feel like that's how I started setting up the ring with Klondike Bill, driving to South Carolina with him, showing him porn uh, books and things like that. Can't believe this is real life. Uh, We've reached that point in the show, Tony. All right. Well, I do want to say it's been a great day. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being with us. Don't forget, as uh, Conrad said, get yourself a T-shirt. Because if you don't get yourself a T-shirt, you know what's going to happen? The tape machines are going to be rolling. Conrad's going to pick up a chair. He's going to kick you in the head. He's going to take a kibasi. He's going to stick it in your ear. The tape machines are rolling, and we are desperately out of time.